I'm not sure. I don't know. Anyway, but okay. joining us now, yeah, it's our pal, the Rocket. Woo-hoo! Not the Rocket, just Rocket. <laughs> Morning, Rocket. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good. We're doing all right. How about so yourself? So I got to ask you, where did you go? Where did I go? Well, you... you, you oh. Did co- you go to the old studio in Mount's Bay? Uh, yeah. That's, that's where you, I went. So <laughs> did you, all of a sudden you were in an abandoned building and said, hey, I don't think this is the you right know, place. It was just a beautiful morning out. Yeah. And, and I got just... I, I mindlessly put in uh, WVMT and yeah. Google Maps. And, I, yeah. in, and, uh, and took you to the old station? I was really just enjoying uh, the golden... And it's a beautiful day. Oh, you're, you're not yeah. the first one. You're not the first yeah. one to make that mistake. No, but I uh, I'm with you. You're like uh, driving in, it's just this is a sweet spot right now. We're in we're in summertime and mm-hmm. it's nice and early morning when the sun coming up. And mm-hmm. uh, but was yeah. it was it taking you down that bumpy bumpy road? Was or... no, it brought me to the high school. Yeah. Oh, Colchester High School. Oh yeah, that's right next door. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you avoided the pitfalls of the just, er, er, Ernie Farrar Drive. We're talking about this, and Rocket doesn't know what we're talking about. The, right. When before we started this show, mm-hmm. WVMT was in that area. Mm-hmm. We were we were like right next to the right next door the 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 dirt road right before the high school. Oh, I see. And it goes way out because it's it was way out at the end of that dirt road. You know, I mean, it, it, well, the funny thing is, I actually put your show on. I was just t- tuned out and listening, and I was that that was between that and the sunshine. I was very distracted, and I, I looked up. I said, "Wow, I'm so you know foolish." <laughs> yeah, it's all right. You're not but, uh, foolish. You know that 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 happens. It happens to me. It used to happen to me. Well, now I'm starting to listen to podcasts too. But I'll listen to something on the radio. Or I, years ago, I used to drive a delivery truck mm-hmm. and I had books on cassette. Yeah. And it, and if you had to, if I had to make like an overnight run and I didn't want to fall asleep, I'd listen to like the scariest book I could find. <laughs> so I'd be terrified. But I'd go screaming by where I was supposed to stop because I'm like la 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 la. Yeah. Well, the mind's a funny thing, isn't, yeah, isn't it? Great. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful day. You're here. It's all good. So, Rocket, uh, tell us. Let's talk about. Um, we obviously we've had this tremendous flood in Vermont here. This caused massive destruction. One of the you know the hundred year flood, I guess we'd call it. Uh, businesses, residents, mm-hmm. you know, towns, water departments, everything else. But of course, these are businesses that a lot of them that you have been very intimately familiar with. Yeah. What have What have you seen? Well, um, you know, I've seen what everyone's seen on the news, but then, um, you know, it's this thing where I, I have a, a strong feeling where I feel like I need to go and see things for myself. Right. And so I've been to Montpelier and to Barrie and to Ludlow and to Weston and to Londonderry um, and a handful of other places I'm just in the last week or so and week or two and... Um, Oh, to Waterbury as well. I mean, I really just wanted to compare what I'm seeing in the news versus what the the sentiment is, what the reality is on the ground. And I will say, I mean, some of this damage is incredible. It's uh, in a heartbreaking way. Um, but then the other thing is that I've been a little bit surprised to see how many businesses are open yeah. and how much these communities are open for business. And that, to me, has been something that I feel uh, a strong gripe with with the current media coverage, which is to say... I, I totally understand and feel for people who have been flood affected, and I do think that we should give them uh, not only our attention, but also our support. And the volunteerism has been amazing, and people stepping up to support each other has been amazing. But there's a lot of people who are, especially small business owners, and uh, to me, small business owners are like heroes. But the, the amount of uh, suffering that a lot of businesses that were not flood affected directly but now are suffering because you have cancellations, people aren't coming to town. Right. You know, if you just look at the news and the news only presents damage, then out of respect 
if not also for your own concern uh, for your safety, you're going to avoid these sounds. Right. But now there's a lot Good of businesses. And, and how are they going to be made whole? They're, they're not made whole for lost income. I mean, that's just not a thing that happens. But this is July. We're going into August. I mean, this is a this, these are money-making months. Yeah. So um, seeing some of that has been eye-opening for me and just in terms of wanting to um, – talk to business owners and just get a sense for what you know what is happening there's a little bit of survivor's guilt obviously um and you could imagine i mean if you're in ludlow and you're on um an island they were an island for three days we talked to the town manager yeah Yeah. and but one side of the street you know the creek side got uh totally ravaged and the other side of the street sits a little bit higher and they were all right Uh, so that must be pretty painful to see your neighbors sit in your house and watch your neighbors destroyed but i I gotta tell you there's a there's a very touching story i went to um to Ludlow, Vermont Public featured, I believe, a story about Blue Duck Deli, which is a, a husband-wife team. Um, they were building out this entire uh, renovation of a restaurant themselves. They were just about to open a couple weeks, maybe a month oh, away. Oh, God. And they, they, the flooding was actually not so bad within the restaurant itself. All their equipment was saved, but it washed out under their foundation. So now they have structural issues in that building. So yeah. that's going to be what really takes them out for a while. Now, I was talking to them about this, this circumstance, and they were saying that, you know, they, were, they had gone across the street for lunch, and they were so thrilled by their neighbor's success. They said, you know, it brought them joy, and it brought them optimism that they, too, could be back in that place. You know, right. we'll, we'll be joining you soon. And I thought, like, that sort of um, pride and camaraderie between neighbors within the community, I mean, that, that to me speaks more than, uh, than anything that you could see in the news in terms of what that real interstitched connectivity between these communities is. And I think that was a very beautiful thing to, to experience. Well, that's uh, one of the things that we talked to uh, last Wednesday. We, we, the, the group spent the entire day, the seven stations of this radio group, out on the street in the <laughs> valley, in the Champlain Valley, uh, everywhere from St. Albans all the way down to Middlebury. Mm-hmm. We were here in Essex uh, raising money for uh, the Vermont Community Foundation for, for flood relief. Yeah. And, uh, but also just to keep it kind of uh, top of mind for the folks over here, because there's a lot of people that were just coming up with $100 bills and they said, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I feel guilty. Uh-huh. And, and, um, you know, uh, I want to help these people. And then we were interviewing, I talked to a woman from Charlie O's in Montpelier. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what it was. Their neighbor, they spent the day mucking out the, the mud. Yep. And then the neighbor who has a, a little uh, veranda above their place said, hey, shouted down and said, why don't you guys come up here and sit and have a cold beverage and just uh, chill for a little while mm-hmm. and survey everything that you've that you've already cleaned up. Mm. And um, they just really are really pulling together and their resilience. And you're right. A lot of people have managed to get open quickly mm-hmm. uh, despite all the challenges that they're faced with. But Rocket, I want to talk to you about what you said uh, about tour. Are you talking like maybe tourists aren't coming to Vermont because they're thinking some hey, of the town that's it's towns and have been ravaged so much that we got to stay away. Yeah. Do you think that could be affecting even towns that, we're not hit by the flood. Oh yeah. So in other words, in other words, I mean, people aren't going to go. Tourists, if they're coming to Vermont, aren't going to go look and say, "Hey, was this town hit? This one wasn't hit. This one was hit." You're right. You're afraid that they're maybe staying away completely. Yeah, I think there's a bit of both. Right. I mean, but it probably, it probably, my guess is they would know maybe that the largest city that Burlington wasn't hit. So Burlington, I don't know if Burlington has been impacted at all, but I, I can imagine that a lot of other towns probably could be. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, it's um, I'm sure some people do the research and I'm sure some people don't. 
Right. Right. And the people who don't, you know, it's uh, very easy to say, well, why don't we go to Vermont next year and we'll just stick around the area. Right? So, yeah. so even even a business that didn't get impacted by the flood yeah. could be impacted just by the nature of there's been so much publicity about all the towns being hurt so bad. That right. Tourists think I got to stay away from all those areas. Right. Exactly. I mean, e- even, you know, right there in Ludlow, just down the street, there's a, 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 um, a beautiful, like, inn and cocktail bar called Main and Mountain. And they were saying that they had a ton of cancellations, but yeah. they were fine, right? But these are people that were going to be coming to visit to stay and who would have brought money to Ludlow, to that community, and to that business, and, and, um, and then obviously taken a little bit of Vermont home with them in their hearts. But that, that transaction, that, that interaction was not... Uh, did not happen because people had this perception that Ludlow was completely wrecked. Now, I, I'm not, I don't mean to make light. Obviously, a lot of people were really severely affected. It was interesting because I went to Waterbury and, um, you know, and, and I want to shout out Eric Warnstead, who owns the Hen of the Wood Group, because yeah. I went to Waterbury to see Pro Pig because I had seen that they'd flooded. And he was right there mucking everything out with his crew. And, you know, and his while I was there, his crew was carrying benches back up the street that had floated down the street. And, yeah. And yeah. I, I just have a deep, and I know this is happening. I, that's just Eric that I had seen and spoke to, but I know this is happening across state where the business owners are rolling up their sleeves and doing the work. I mean, and then I think that a lot of times uh, we don't do enough celebrating of business owners and, and the amount of uh, sacrifice that they make, the amount of uh, sweat that they put in in terms of creating um, just uh, love and leadership at their at their businesses. It's so easy for us to see the final product, but. It, it, I walking through that neighborhood behind Waterbury, you know, it was really, really heartbreaking to see just the entire street was emptying their homes right mm-hmm. onto the curb, and it was so uh, emotionally d- difficult to see. But then it also had me thinking. First off, I hope that they're all made whole and that they all have uh, safe places to live in short order, if not already. Um, but it also had me thinking. Right now, the flood is laying bare, you know, this disparity between the people who survived unscathed and the people that were really severely affected. And it got me thinking, like, you know, day to day, flood aside, there is a lot of suffering in our state that goes unseen. And just because we don't see people bringing their stuff out onto the curb doesn't mean that people aren't suffering in some way or another. And it really got me thinking, how do we think a little bit more compassionately about what, where that is and, and what we can do for our neighbors year-round, perennially, right? Well, I think that, that that's uh, something that happens. Um, yeah, they talk about that happening after a natural disaster or a major event that right. people kind of, it, it snaps you, you into consciousness and saying, right. you know, and uh, you take care of one another, and then, you know, two or three years down the road, obviously uh, things settle down and settle right. in, but but how do you capture that yeah. and and... Be more compassionate towards one another. Totally. Yeah, we heard stories. Uh, I'm sure you heard the story. Uh, there was a, a guy who uh, lived in an apartment in Johnson on Railroad Street, mm-hmm. and uh, he knew his neighbor was really elderly. Mm-hmm. So as he's evacuating, he goes and bangs on the door mm-hmm. and uh, finds him floating in his barca lounger. Oh my gosh! And grabs him, and and so there was there mm-hmm. were so many unsung heroes that saved lives in such a short period of time. They talk yeah. about. In Ludlow, that the, the mobile home park mm-hmm. that the fire department just literally minutes ahead of, of some serious mm-hmm. devastation, and and um, you think, well, that's what's beautiful about this that neighbors are thinking they may not even know each other. They right. just knew that the, he knew the guy downstairs was older, right, and wanted to make sure that he was got out too. That right. kind of stuff, right. And you, and if you can extrapolate that 
and then extend it beyond just the disaster. Right. And, a way and to harness that. You know, and while we're on this topic, I think we should uh, make sure that we thank all our first responders because yeah. they put in a heroic amount of work during this period. And, um, you know, there, there were well over 100 water rescues. And uh, to my knowledge, only one reported death yeah. in the entire flooding. I mean, that is an incredible amount of work done, you know, very risky work done by first responders. And I, I think that they uh, deserve our acknowledgement and thanks. But not just now, but year round. Right. Right. And this is the thing. It's like you only see we only see the news when, oh, there was a death or, oh, there was a uh, right. an accident, a failure of some point of the process. But we never see the news on how many lives were saved, how many people were taken care of. You know, the, it's the positive statistics that really matter as well that we never see. So mm-hmm. I think over time it starts to calcify our opinion where we say, oh, we feel so negatively about, let's say, policing. But what you don't see is all the times that it went well. And I think that how do we create a culture that that really celebrates that, that people hang on to that and say, let's do more of that and let's do that every day. Um, you know, and the other thing I have about this is I feel like when you talk about the guilty, the guilt money, the hundred dollars or whatever, I, I mean, I, I think it's a very real feeling. I mean, I have that as well. Sure. And then, but then I think the problem is over time, it's so exhausting to feel that way. Right. And you, you get numbed to that, I think. Right. And I think, how can we do this in a way that is more of a habit, a habit, habitualized practice in our in our culture where we are looking out for each other and we can do things preemptively so that it feels good, you know, instead of it being oh I'm helping you because I feel bad, right? You know, and so right. what are, what are ways that we can go? Well, that's that's you know? a heavy lift to take it from negative reinforcement. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, here's this tragic thing that's happened to try to get it in in everybody's mindset that it's a positive reinforcement right we're, we're ahead of the game but you, that's a hard lift but you're right rocket there is there there is the pangs of guilt like i live mm-hmm. in burlington and, and I, I i've said it on the show i said sometimes i feel guilty that there's so mm-hmm. many people suffering and i'm not but that's not really the way to look at it right but um and of course as you mentioned the first responders we heard from as anthony said we heard from the town manager in ludlow who mm-hmm. talked about the first responders literally saving lives from uh, mobile home park, mm-hmm. getting them out of there as the floodwaters were rushing in. What anything where you live? Did was there any damage at all where you live? Well, so down in White River um, or Hartford, the only real damage that I know of is the Queechi. Um, there's a, a dam right there at Simon Pierce. So Simon Pierce got flooded at the ground level. Um, their production facility, they, you know, this beautiful glass blowing display area. So my understanding is that got knocked out pretty good, and there was some pretty dramatic footage of water going over the falls there, right, Queechi Dam. Uh, and that dam has been, uh, it, it's not super clear what happened, but it's not in the, its finest form, let's say. Um, but besides that, our, our town was lucky to escape unscathed. It's high enough. You know, really, it could, it, you know, five feet made, made all the difference in the world. Oh, I mean, you know, walking through Montpelier, oh, right? Oh, my God. Y- you think like that, when you go day to day, you feel like Montpelier is just flat. And then you go and you think, okay, well, actually, on one side you have North Branch Cafe, and on the other side you have... A, a huge number of restaurants, right? I mean, North Branch Cafe, you got to walk up the stairs to, but that was the difference, right? Yeah. Um, or you've got uh, Sarducci's. Yep. I mean, Sarducci's and, and, uh, and it's State on Street the river. Seems like, exactly, seems like it's the same height, but when you get there, you really look, you squint your eyes a little bit, you say, it's actually maybe about a foot higher up. Dude, yeah, now and you've that's been, what made the difference. You've been back to some communities that you have done videos in, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yep. have you had an opportunity to talk to anyone who you, who's, establishment you had been in before and done a story on and and connect mm. with them and and see 
where they are or kind of a follow-up yeah well right now what we're doing so not on the video side but on the eat vermont food side you know i run this platform it's got just about twenty-two thousand followers on there we you know we're the the largest food focused uh brand in, in vermont right now on digital media and so we work with tons of different restaurants and businesses that way and that's that's really what was driving me to go to these different communities uh was to see you know, how restaurants are doing and see if there's any way that we could use the Eat Vermont platform to support them. Now, there are, part of that, one of the things that I, I have not talked too much about publicly, but we are working on a cookbook this year, and we wanted to do a, a cookbook of what I call the wow counties, Washington, Orange, and Windsor. <laughs> and, you know, we, we had a segment up the state somehow to do, to do this. So That's we, cool. We're doing a cookbook on the wow counties, but now Washington, Orange, and Windsor, these were some of the hardest hit counties. So tons. I mean, we actually just did a shoot at Oaks and Evelyn about a month and a half ago. Justin Dane, he's the chef owner there. And beautiful space. I mean, just like meticulous to the details. And he made this fabulous gnocchi. Um, and just so passionate about education. We had this great photo shoot with him. He made us this uh, gnocchi and some oysters. I mean, the whole experience was incredible. And mm. I can't wait to present that in this cookbook. But that same restaurant, I mean, just like, um, is it uh, Julio's next door? And I mean, that entire state side of State Street is gutted. I mean, yeah. there, there, there is nothing left. They've completely stripped out the walls, the floors, everything. Yeah. And that has been... Very, very difficult to hear, you know, from Justin, from all these other restaurant owners. Just being well, and set the impact so is different. You know, it's I, I go back to Charlie O's because that's my point of reference. Yeah. They've been a customer of mine for years, yeah. and they've been there since 1861. Yeah, survived the flood of 27. Mm-hmm. Irene, the next door, the the building next door burned to the ground. Yeah, this was worse. They, uh, they have structural yeah. damage. I mean, and 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 that's that's really yeah. You know, you when you put it into perspective like that, it's like they've been there yeah. what, since 1861, yeah. and this was the worst disaster. Yeah, Charlie O's. Yeah, I mean Charlie O's, uh, Rabble Rouser. I yeah. mean, that so whole side of the yeah, street. Oh my so god, so many. Um, oh, a three penny tap room. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing left inside of these. I mean, they they're com- they're all construction zones. It's completely mm-hmm. gutted, and that is um. It's very, it's very difficult to see. I mean, you, you know how much love that goes in there and not just at the business owner level, but the staff level and the community level. Yeah. Uh, just so many people have been affected through that. It's been, uh, it's been tough to see. Yeah. We got to hit a break, but we got more rocket when we come That's back. That's right. Rocket will be back. We're going to check. This is the morning drive on FM 96.3 AM 620 news talk WVMT. We are taking care of business here on the morning drive today, and uh, we're now going to continue our discussion with Rocket. Uh, and Rocket, of course, is a member of the Hartford, yes, Hartford Select Board, mm-hmm. where he occasionally stirs it up. But, uh, but <laughs> actually, but, let's check in on that right there. Okay. <laughs> well, let's before we get to that, though, I want to go back to just want to make sure we leave enough time for this. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking during the break. Again, we've been talking about the flooding because, of course, you've done videos in so many towns across Vermont. And you've yeah. been in a lot of these eating establishments, yeah. and and you know the what people have gone through. And you're talking about you know that we also need to find the positives where we can, right? And I totally get the point you were making in the first segment here about all the negativity could also lead to something that we're not thinking about, which is businesses getting suffering from. So much ne- negativity keeping people away from the state. Right. What do you think is the answer to that? Oh, gosh. I mean, balanced coverage, I guess. And, you know, the one thing about Vermonters, I, I think 
I'll tell you one thing I love and one thing that I think we can improve on. <laughs> all right, there you go. One thing I think, one thing I love about Vermont, we've all heard Vermont strong. And we are just a resilient people. We, you know, I grew up in Southern California where it's 70 degrees every day. And it just kind of makes you a little bit mushy, right? My grandfather said when he moved to the South, he goes, I understand why people are, are, are softer. Yeah. Your blood thins out and life's easier down Something here. Something about that. <laughs> you mean, look, you, if you got to get up at seven in the morning for school and it's 15 degrees out and you got to bundle up and your mom <laughs> says, go get the car started, you got to get out there. And then your dad says, well, shovel the walk before you get, you know, you get going. It's like it, it creates a certain hardiness and a certain resilience and mindset where you, you've got to do these things. There's something about nature, I think, and the way that we live that creates a hardy, resilient people. And I love that. Yeah, And I think that one thing, though, that I, I think Vermonters could really improve on is uh, I've noticed that Vermonters have a tendency to, to focus on adversity in a way that can feel at times a little bit negative. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're uh, you're 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 really good at trying to put a good spin. on it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what do you know, mean? You got a problem with me? There's nothing wrong here. Right. And I, and I, I think God, I, I was thinking the other day, I said it would be nice if Vermonters would just sing a little more, you know, sing to them, <laughs> themselves and sing to sing to each other. But, you know, there's um, I think there's a certain uh, tenacity that I think puts a, you know, a stern face on for Vermonters. And I, but I think what I know of, you know, the, our people and the way we live is that we're all very kind, loving people. We, we care about our neighbors. And it would just be nice if there's ways that we could make sure that both in the way that we present ourselves uh, to each other, but also in on the, the level of institutions, media and so forth, focusing a little more on positives and just remembering how blessed we are every day that we, hey, we made it through the flood. Now, and I do see, you see that in the action, mm. right? And this is, this is the thing is I've heard this. This great phrase, which is people on the West Coast are nice, meaning cheery and, and so forth, but they're not kind, right? Your ah. house gets flooded. Sorry, buddy. That's your house, right? People in New England, they are not nice, but they are, <laughs> but they are kind. kind, right? You want to know something? That is a great, uh, pers- I, I, that, that's true. You think about places and you uh-huh. think about different communities right. and that's, and that's true. They, um, they yeah stiff upper lip or you know mm-hmm. you know head down you know don't know what you're looking at that kind yeah. of thing. but if something happens but they're it, there for you and I'm gonna say too that that's a perception really of uh, I think also of people who are not part of the community because mm-hmm. once you're in the community of course we're we're joyful about seeing each other I think that's pretty obvious but I I think that um uh yeah I mean going back to Kurt's question about how do we how do we sort of support I think. If we, have, especially at the institutional level, could focus on, and I pitched this to some reporters that were in, in Montpelier because they were covering flood damage, right? And it's like, how many days can you cover people moving debris out of their businesses? And then at some point you say, can we get some stories out about all the people that were lucky to survive or who have been able to be in a position where they could put themselves back together and are now open for business? Can we talk about the resiliency in that perspective? Right. Right. Um, and, um, you know, speaking on resiliency, I kind of wanted to mention, well, first off, we need to talk about farms. I mean, some farms, you, you talk about resiliency at the state level, growing, producing energy locally and growing food locally, locally being in state right, mm-hmm. or, or close to is never going to be a bad thing for us. Right. And so I think in, in terms of our farms, I mean, farming is difficult, difficult work. And you, as we know, a lot of farms are, are built along the rivers. Well, yeah. And so I know the intervale up here got to absolutely ravaged. Uh, it was a hundred percent crop loss across the board. And, um, but there are a lot of farms across state that have been horribly affected, not just by the flood, but also, I mean, talk about the frost in May. So I, I right. think crazy, crazy year. 
it's been a horrible, horribly tough year for a lot of farmers, and I want I want to make sure that we send them our love. And and I think as a society, as a community, we got to think how do we make it so that people who are doing incredible, noble work, which is growing food and feeding people, um, can be protected by our communities, right? I mean, for right now, my understanding is that. Uh, farmers aren't getting any support from FEMA. It's not within the jurisdiction. I think it's USDA has got to designate it. But even that, you know, to do the um, the adjustments and, and to get the payouts, I mean, it's going to be a long haul for these people. Yeah. And it's not even just it's just not not just about the money, right? It's about the heart and the soul, the blood, the sweat. It's it's about that the the dignity of that as well. That I think a lot of that has been really damaged. That um, I think we got to say from Vermont's perspective, what can we do on a really systemic level to really make sure that we are not only supporting people through this, um, but celebrating their work year round? Because you say these are this is part of the risks that people are taking on in the work. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, farming is a is a significant risk, uh, and um, you know it's it's changed over the years. You know, before there were cattle, there were sheep in the in the in the valley, and right, and now it's migrating to crops and different things, and mm-hmm. and. But it is a risky business. There's no question about it. And and when you look at things like the farm bill and you look at some of these safety nets mm-hmm. that, that are supposed to be there and then you have a disaster like this. Right. And um, it, they're not getting the help they need in a timely fashion. It's like, well, I thought we had this set up. I right. thought we were trying to protect these people. And so I think it's it does give you an opportunity right. to check back in. And well, say, okay, now that we've gone through this, what are we going to do better next time? I agree with that. And I think, you know, I, at the Vermont level, you know, the, the historical independence, this rugged independence. I mean, you think about all the innovation that's come out of Vermont. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with this idea of self-sufficiency. And people have been worked very hard to be independent while living in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Now, you look at FEMA. FEMA's slated to run out of money before hurricane season in the next month or two right yeah so as great as these federal programs are um in the long in the big picture in terms of being able to provide support or send resources into our state and i'm very appreciative that we have that uh, i think that we we also need to think as vermonters what is within our control that we can really affect and this is something that for me you know we talk about this you know touching on the select board about um climate resiliency let's say or um climate change in general now, I think that there are a lot of really good reasons to be moving to battery-powered machinery, to be uh, getting heat pumps, to be moving off fossil fuels. I think there are many, many great reasons for it, but I do not think that we should pretend that it's about carbon footprint or greenhouse gases, because Vermont is a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the ocean. Yeah. So when we talk about these things, let's get real. and Let's talk about resiliency, because we're trying to make sure that Vermont itself can be independent and self-sufficient and protected. But to say, oh, well, we're going to stop climate change because we put heat pumps in all the way across Vermont. You could wipe Vermont across off the map and mm-hmm. climate change would not uh, change course. No, exactly. So I think we got to think about rethink resiliency. I like the rethink resiliency. All right, we're going to take a quick two-minute break. Mackenzie Country Classic Hotline is open. Newsmakers, this is the way. This is the Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. The McKenzie Country Classic Hotline's open, 888-414-0303. We're continuing our discussion with Rocket. And, uh, Rocket, when you talk about farmers, mm-hmm. looking at a headline right now here on Digger from this morning saying, We took a beating. Vermont sees influx of federal flood aid, but farmers are still waiting for help. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what you're talking about. It's, it's farmers... 
they're, you know, we right here in Chittenden County, that's mm. where we didn't get hit like some other counties did. But in terms of farms, yeah. uh, there's some right near us that got dis- destroyed by yeah. first, as you mentioned, the frost in May, the late frost in May, and then and then this cataclysmic trip. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's very very sad to see. I think, um, I mean, hopefully they get that support soon. You know, and uh, what can we say? We wish them well, and we we need to figure out ways to rethink resiliency in in, in a really meaningful way. Now, I don't know. Does that mean we move the farms? I don't. I don't think so. Right. But uh, we. I think we just need to really be honest with ourselves and have difficult conversations about what does this mean if this is this hundred year flood is now looks like maybe a ten year flood. Do you right. think uh, you touched on this? But do you think that people are taking advantage of this? Maybe that's not the right phrase, but because a lot of people are obviously saying this is because of climate change, and that's why we need to do all these things. You touched on that, but do you think people are sort of using this as a as a means to to get where they want to in regards to climate change? Saying because of this flood, mm. we've got to enact all these things. Oh, I mean, I would say that it's a very human trait to use anything we can to to uh, bolster our own arguments, right? Yeah. So I wouldn't say that's uh, unique to anybody. Now, here's my here's my position on climate change. Uh, I think that the whole argument about whether it's man-made or not doesn't matter, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. The only thing that really matters is the end outcome. We are seeing record historic high temperatures. Now, it only matters with respect to human activity if we can modulate it, right? And if we have some degree of control, then we say maybe we should uh, work on that. Now, I tend to believe that, right? It seems, seems pretty clear to me. But it's besides the point in some respects, especially on the scale that you're talking about, right? You talk about Vermont. It's like we need to do what we can uh, to survive in, uh, in a global environment, where things are changing very, very fast. That we have very little control over. Right. What we have control over is our own home, our mm-hmm. home being Vermont, right? And so I think maybe that's the way we need to really think about. Now, granted, I will also say that Vermont is a great exporter of culture. I mean, Bernie Sanders is a global phenomenon. Ben and Jerry is a global phenomenon. You got Burton, Burton Snowboards. You have Keurig, Keurig Green Mountain Coffee, right? You have so many brands and so much reach that is, uh, you know, as a cultural force, we punch way outside of our weight class, Right. Which is an incredible thing. Now, and I think that if you say we, we're going to go climate neutral, right, and we can do this as a small state with a blue-collar population and we can make that work, then that's a, and that's a great signal to put out to the world. I think that's great, too. But I don't think we should pretend like it's about reducing carbon footprint. I think we should – there are many, many excellent reasons to do it, but we just need to have these honest conversations. Because carbon footprint in Vermont is – not it's like a, it is. It, it, there it's, is. It's a rounding error, you know, it, not just on the global scale, but even on the American scale, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think we need to talk about, you know, if we can be uh, a shining light of example of look at our robust local food system, which we are. Uh, you know, you say we're pioneers and leaders in the organic movement, and which organic certification? I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But I think even in terms of just uh, going low pesticide or just having accountability through our food system from farmer to plate, right? I, I think that those are things that I'm so proud about. When I, when I talk, think about being a Vermonter, I'm so proud that these are aspects, hallmark traits of Vermont. And I think that we could also then move forward and say, what are ways that we can make sure that our communities are becoming increasingly resilient so that we can thrive year over year and not just survive, but to thrive? Well, right? you know, and, and, and part, of, part of the reason why we are in a position we're in 
is because of the tenacity of the Vermonters before us. Because Mm -hmm. the reason we have so many small hydro dams and they don't exist much in the country anymore Mm -hmm. is because we had a power company, Central Vermont Public Service, that Mm -hmm. was wholly owned by Vermonters. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do away with them when everybody else was doing away with the dams. They were like... No, this is providing free electricity. We're going to maintain them. We're not going to blow them out of the water. Mm -hmm. And so then, now here we sit and we become very attractive. Now, that that company is now owned by Gaz Metro out of a a company, a conglomerate out of Quebec. But it went from being kind of a pain in the neck to a shining star. Right. So I think that that, uh, that's all part and parcel, too, is you, you, you need to just kind of look and say, okay, we need to do these things, and I I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, yeah. but it, not at the peril of our existence, right? And I, and I think what we need to do, you know, one of the problems is our, I feel like our elected officials think on such short term short cycles, partly because of their election cycles, right, and partly because that's just the way of the world nowadays with social media, it's short attention spans, and so forth. But the reality is, the best societies. I mean, you don't parent, you know, year over year with your child. You parent. Uh, you operate day to day, of course, but you've got to look down the, the lifespan. Long term. Right. Yeah. And I think for us, we got to think more generationally in terms of what investments are we making and what does this look like 10, 20, 30 years down the road? Do you have thoughts, Rocket, on how we do make communities more resilient going forward? It's a, it's a big question, obviously. Do you have thoughts initially on what we can do to, to make communities more resilient outside of all of just the climate change? stuff yeah i mean for me i think it's uh localizing power production and localizing food production i mean we we are blessed with generally blessed with good air we're generally blessed with great water and so you you think really the fundamentals food air water shelter maslow yeah yeah maslow's pyramid right so i think right now the food insecurity and you know this is something i'm very passionate about is uh is in Vermont to me is at an unacceptable level, right? And I think we got to figure that out. And then we got to figure out housing. I think housing, we need to be, get real. I mean, people want to, uh, we, we talk about, uh, the shortage, housing shortage as a huge issue, which it is. I mean, to me, the fact that Vermont kids growing up here cannot afford to stay in, in state if they wanted to, many of them, this is a travesty. But that developing new housing can sometimes come at odds with zoning and uh, and Act 250 and conservation. I mean, these are difficult conversations that we I think we need to lean into and say, well, which one is it? Right. right. And we got to make priorities. Um, but I think there's a lot of room to actually redevelop in density in downtowns. And when you build in density, I think you can really make infrastructure investments that you can't if it's single-family homes. We've got a discussion exactly. coming up at 8 o'clock with the Burlington City Council about a lot of that stuff. That's a great right lead-in. But uh, – <laughs> Rocket, um, on the Hartford Select Board, Yes, are you anything big happening there? We know, again, you, you, you've stirred things up here and there at times, and, <laughs> and I say that in a good way. There's nothing wrong with stirring yeah. things up. But is there anything, and also, have you, it's a, still a few months away, but do you think you're going to seek re-election? And, and you're a guy, Rocket, that has lots of, you're a thinking person. I mean, you have, you. do you think you might take politics into another area after after the select board, could you run for legislature? Or there were so many questions in that, but I'll yeah, say, exactly. uh, I, 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 um, I don't want to be like a politician and avoid the, the question. So I'll answer them all directly. <laughs> I, um, it, the things on the select board are, are smooth and good right now. I, I think we really, um, I would love to focus on how we find grant money to, to invest and inject into our community. So that's something that I'm interested in and, uh, exploring further. But things are good. As far as stirring the pot, you know, I'm just someone I just speak my mind, right? Life is too short to not speak my mind. And I think that it's a, 
the only way you can have a really rigorous, authentic conversation is we speak our minds and withhold judgment until we can kind of like get through all the different ideas. And not all my ideas are right. Um, as far as reelection and, uh, uh, you know, public service, we talked about this, uh, public service down in the future. I, I think about it, of course. Um, you know, I'm re- going into my third year at law school, so I've got commitments there. I'm your to, seat's up in March, right? My seat's up in March, right. Yeah, so my term ends then. Um, you know, I always say my two paths forward are either in private private business, which I think would be fun and more fulfilling personally, and public service, which I think would be very difficult and trying, but I think it's a noble thing to do. So I am thinking about it. I, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't made any decisions on it, but nor do I feel could, like pressure to do anything. Could you, you know. see yourself running for like the legislature? I don't know that I would want to want to run for the legislature. I mean, that's not uh, the state legislature. <laughs> I'm still feeling, I'm still feeling out everything, right? Like, I, I think for me, um, how do I say it? Like, I'll tell you this. If I, if I decide to, uh, announce, you know, something, then, then I'll come and let you know, but you'll I, do it right I, here on this show. I, I don't know if this would be right where I make the announcement. Let's say, oh, but come I'll, on, I'll definitely come out and uh, chat, chat about it. I mean, I think like there's so many things where I, sometimes I feel like very critical of legislature, let's say. I mean, in this case, it, may, it could be many other things, right? And I think the question for me is, is the right path for me to lean into that frustration and say, well, let me be part of this and try to, if I think I can do better, let me try to do better, right? Or do I say, yeah, you know, I don't think I understand that well, and I don't know that my personality or my temperament is going to do work in a way that's going to help everyone thrive. So maybe I should really lean into my strengths elsewhere. So that's kind of like a personal decision there and then i think the other thing is with public service as you know kurt is when when you serve you know and this has happened to me at the select board level uh when you say or do things that are controversial or difficult make dif- difficult decisions or statements your community gets asked to answer on your behalf anyone that knows you people are going to say hey w- what's up with kurt what's up with rocket saying this or that and my friends are going to say i don't know you know i didn't say it <laughs> yeah. and i don't know that i want to drag my community through that right i mean it just really depends i think but you are signing them up by with your own decisions and i think that's a very serious thing to consider well yeah. you're a young guy we know we're going to hear a lot more from rocket in the future but thanks for being on the morning drive today hey it's always fun to be here can i can i just give a quick shout gotta, out gotta be quick because yeah, yeah. Ben uh, lyman orton of the vermont country store has got this great art exhibit he's repatriated a ton of vermont artists down in manchester at southern vermont art center and at the bennington museum and it's really really worth a visit yeah. all right stuff yeah. yeah all right definitely rocket thanks for being on the morning drive today we'll talk to you again in the near future i'm sure thanks for having me great all to right. see you guys thanks for coming in all right we're going to take a quick break we're going to check in with abc news uh, amanda's got the headlines we got the forecast and then ben travers burlington city uh, councilor is going to come in talking about the south end development right after this